Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Jim. Bonjour. <laughs> oh, no. That's the only word I got. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's terrible. And uh, also joining us is your co-host, Hunter. I'm really sorry right now. You should be. But I'm, should. I'm really happy to be here. I'm super excited. I am so looking forward to talking about tonight's game with tonight's guest. This is this is exciting for me. Yeah, we're very excited to have a guest. Uh, originally from, he's based in Paris, but calling us from New York City. The founder of Novaquark, and I'm going to say this whole thing once, Jean-Christophe Bailly. They do it. They did it. <laughs> you nailed it, man. Very good. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> yes. Welcome. Now, we're just going to call you JC from now on so we don't continuously butcher that. Uh, but thank you for joining us, uh, JC. We're very excited to talk about your game. Uh, you're, by the way, folks, currently kickstarting game. It is currently in Kickstarter, and there's what, 13 days left? 12 or 13 days uh, left? As something like this? that. Yeah, it's 13, uh, 13 days, basically two weeks. Uh, and and it, it's looking good. We're, we're getting close to uh, uh, four four hundred thousand euros, and uh, the the goal is at five hundred thousand. So we, we we're confident, uh, but you know, always a bit worried, obviously. So and yeah. we'll yeah, see, we'll of, see. Yeah, you're kind of in the slumpy period before it starts to ramp up near the end. So I yeah, totally, that's, get, that's I totally get that. Yeah, that's the the, the dynamics usually. I look know, at it this way. in the middle, and that's where we are at the moment. And it should actually accelerate a bit at the end. Yeah. Well, Chris Roberts was dead broke when he came on the show, and look oh, at him now. God. So. <laughs> and by the way, big thank you to Chris Roberts who, who has uh, uh, written, you know, a, a, a message of support um, to to us, and that that was really great. And awesome. uh, I cannot thank him enough. So that's that's really a great uh, gesture from him. Uh, so yeah. So how is the uh, Kickstarter? How has how's it been running the Kickstarter for you guys? Has it has it been tough? Has it been? Have you found it easier than you thought? How is it going on your end? Uh, it's 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 tough. I mean, you don't sleep. Uh, you're constantly worried about everything, and also we are we are spending a lot of time answering everybody every questions. It's very important for us. Uh, but you know, we're talking about. I mean, we have a backlog of two hundred two hundred uh, questions that we will uh, answer by writing. We even did a video where I, I was actually answering uh, some of those questions. I saw um, that. That was nice. We, we did also something important is that, you know, I want to mention that, is that we, we opened our uh, doors uh, to 50 backers that were nearby Paris so that they could come and see and play with the game in a pre-alpha stage so that they could see that this is real. Because, you know, we're in a time where... Um, you know, people are very skeptical about big claims and you know, things like that. You know what happened recently and so on. So our, our, our position is to, to say, I mean, if you want to ask any question, ask it. We're going to answer. If you want to see the game for yourself, you can come to our offices in Paris and you can try it. So we open our doors. We're going to do that again so that people can actually see what we have. We are seeing what we have and we are being as transparent as, as possible. That should be a stretch goal, actually, in your Kickstarter. Would be that you fly us to Paris to play the game. <laughs> it's 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 all actually part of some of the pledges that you get a, uh, you know, welcome in our offices. But I mean, really, I mean, if somebody wants to take an, a plane and come to Paris and visit us, uh, he or she is most welcome. 
See, that's, I a, hope, that's a good I, thing I for Patreon, Brian. 1,000 people buy plane tickets. next Monday, but, you know. <laughs> Do we have to make a reservation? <laughs> yeah, I think it would be better. So we can, we can you know, plan that a little bit. But, you know, the, the idea is, is that simple. Is that we were, for example, at PAX. We were, uh, you know, PAX West. We were at Gamescom. And each time we had uh, hundreds of people uh, coming to our booth and, and trying uh, the game. Actually, more specifically at PAX because it was open to the public. Uh, so we got hundreds of people really trying the game and seeing it for themselves that everything we've shown in video is, is uh, real. So it's important to mention that, I think. All right, now let's talk about the game itself because it's it's really imp- – we haven't been able to touch it, which is – Sad, I'm going to admit, but it's it's really impressive looking voxel based, massively multiplayer game. And from yeah. the looks of it, you can build just about anything. There's a player driven economy. So, for people who haven't seen the Kickstarter or just tuning in now to see to learn about this game, what how would you give the elevator pitch for what the um, the big the big features of this game are? Yeah, so if I have five seconds, I would say it's about rebuilding civilizations with the S uh, together. So that's the, the super short pitch. If I have a bit more of time, I will stress two of the main features of the game. Uh, the first is that it's uh, what we call a continuous single shard. It means that everybody plays in the same world at the same time. Uh, and that, that's a big technological feat. I'm talking about one central server and everybody connects to that server and everybody is in the same world simultaneously and can interact with everybody. Uh, so so the, how, how big the, is that server going to be? Because well, I, I know the, CCP has a supercomputer to do that. Well, the same kind of idea because I think, you know, uh, Evil Nine is perhaps the only single shot that I know of. And it's the same kind of, you know, challenges we are going to face. But we have a different technology. Um, you know, uh, EVE Online is a single shard. So you have, but, but you have different zones like, you know, solar systems or, uh, you know, uh, areas that are predefined. And when they got, they got filled with as many people that the physical server can handle, then you cannot enter anymore. So you have a sort of a queue or you are rerouted to another system. So that, that's a single shot. It's already an, an incredible technical feat, what they have done. And considering also the fact that it has been done uh, I, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago already. So this this is great. What we do with a continuous single shot is that you don't have a fixed, you know, uh, segmentation of space. Everything is dynamic. So if a lot of people are gathering in a certain area, for example, a city, which is very important for us so that you can build cities, well, then we are going to recruit more physical machines around this, this area, basically. So we, we've made a video to you know, illustrate this concept. Uh, we call it dynamic space splitting. And that's the thing that makes it possible to have this continuous single shard and, and at the end of the day to have cities and planets populated with, I don't know, potentially millions of people. Uh, this will work. I mean, there's, a, of course, a level of physical machines that we need to, to rack up. You know, so we have more and more of them. Uh, but they, they, they kind of spread where the people are. So there's a relationship between the number of players and the number of machines. So that's yeah, that was thing. that yeah that was that demo that you were showing where uh, you had like two thousand virtual players that were standing and then you had them walking around in the same yeah. piece of landscape right so that from what I understood of that it's it's basically that clients get updates about each other depending on how distant they are from each other so if if you're not close enough that speedy updates would matter then you get them infrequently 
So, and if you're not on the same planet, then you only need to know what the general area where somebody is. So, so you don't need to waste bandwidth on it. Absolutely. That's, that's the, the fundamental thing you need on top of what I just explained is that you, you decrease the frequency of update with the distance. Uh, and after a certain distance, you just uh, shut down the, the, the information so you don't see uh, the person anymore. So that, that's fundamental. So um, that applies both to uh, players, but of course also to constructs like a spaceship or an orbital station. You don't need to update the position of an orbital station every 10 milliseconds. This thing mm. is huge, it moves slowly, and it's very far away. So you'll be fine, I don't know, with an update every minute. That should be completely okay. So that's that's the trick that, that will allow us to have a lot of things uh, you know, visible at the same time. There's also a lot of challenges on the rendering side because if you have, I don't know, 10,000 of people, uh, you have a, um, a client issue is to display so many people simultaneously. So... Um, we, we will see, you know, how far we can push this in terms of number of visually, simultaneously visually uh, present entities. But, you know, if we have to lower that barriers, it doesn't change much things. I mean, the, the important thing is that things that are close by are going to be rendered and are, are going to be fluid the, the closer they are to you. And that there mm. is no boundary. There's no, I mean, there's no moment where you have this, you know, you, you stepping out or in of a zone and you have to queue or things like that. This is the an important thing so that you don't break the immersion. Well, that's the thing. Uh, Hunter and I have played quite a bit of Space Engineers. And, you know, visually your game is reminiscent of that because you're building stations and buildings and spaceships and stuff. But what happens there is if you build a sufficiently large structure, then it lags the whole server out because that game apparently is tracking the individual bo- the blocks that are components of each structure. Yeah. Um, so how, how do you get around that? Because if you have, like, thousands of players and they're building skyscrapers Good and question. stuff... That you're gonna have to you're gonna have to merge the blocks together instead of tracking individual pieces. Exactly. So the the the, the answer to that is uh, LODs, so level of details management. So that in fact, when you build a skyscraper, um, there's details at the lowest level, which are the the, the exact uh, you know information about your your skyscraper walls and everything, and and. As you build things, we also build at the same time different level of details that are, you know, the, the, the things you do at the lowest level are propagated along the different level of details so that we have a representation of your skyscraper at different resolution uh, that could be used depending on your distance. So if you're far away from the skyscraper, you're not going to use a very fine-grained, um, detailed representation of it. It's going to be very coarse. And you can see that in some of our videos, when I'm getting close to the space station, it kind of, it's a bit rough, and then it, it gets more and more details as we load the, the details. Uh, and, and it's like a you know, progressive JPEG, where the things are, are uh, you know, updating as you get closer to them, and then you get more and more details. Um, so it's not, it's not also something that goes... As a whole, you know, it's, you could be close to a particular part of the space station and have a lot of details there. And then as you look further and further away on the same station, then you get different level of details that, that appears. And there's this transition between different level of details that we have to handle so that you don't see that you are jumping, you know, from different resolution, basically. So this is, this is a bit complicated technology. And, 
to my knowledge, to my knowledge, it's fairly new, um, especially since we coordinate everything over the network, so that if you make a modification uh, and anybody is close by, will also see it. So uh, that that's the challenge, and in rendering is to not show the details when you don't need to. But the server itself is going to have to be aware of of the highest level of detail for everything at all that's times, right. right? So that's going to be a lot of memory. Yes, that's right. But I mean, there are very very large uh, uh, hard disks, and when you're talking about a, a cluster with hundreds of machines, uh, you, you can really have a lot of space. Right, and, and you can probably. Also- you and it's also, also very well compressed, you know. This kind of information gets itself very well compressed. Uh, you have large walls, you have large, you know, constant areas where the things is basically the same. And that, uh, if you look at compression technologies, this gets very well compressed. So mm. we are not very worried about that aspect. Well, so I know this is part server... of the building. Oh, go ahead. No, Oh, I was just going to say, so your server technology, you were talking about people... If they cluster in an area more, you're going to have to allocate more resources to that. So is that essentially like a like a like a server farm that you can just say, "All right, well, we're going to just take these resources and now allocate it over to this part of like is that is that how you're working that or I'm just kind of curious cuz yeah, that that's the general idea. Yes, we have a set of machines that are ready and there's a front that is the thing you talk to. And the front is in charge of dispatching the, the load to the physical machines behind behind the scenes. So you as a player, you, you don't even know that there is all these things going on. This is handled by the cluster directly. Uh, and we're using a, a programming model for, for people who are more into programming uh, that is called actor-based programming. That is, um, uh, I mean, it, it comes from the, the industry of telecoms where you need to be able to relocate entities very easily on different machines and everything must be extremely robust. And this paradigm of programming, actor-based programming, is the right way to to be able to uh, abstract away uh, the physical machine that is running your processes so that you can actually relocate them wherever you want and you don't care about the physical, you know, location of things. So that's at the heart of the... Uh, you know, engineering that is going on so that we can scale this up. So it's well, almost really like cool. the actor, the actor uh, is the script and then the, it gets passed around pretty much. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, okay. uh, it's not script actually. It's, it's compiled uh, for, for, you know, efficiency, but I mean, yeah, that's the mm-hmm. idea. Yes. But, uh, it, but it's, it's like an object. language that has done that, that has invented this, this kind of things. Basically it's called Erlang and Erlang, if, you know, some people are interested. Just go go on the Wikipedia page or whatever. Uh, this is the language that invented actor-based programming. So we're not using Erlang because it's a bit difficult to find, you know, programmers in Erlang. It's a bit exotic uh, somehow. But uh, we use the same, you know, paradigm, the same um, you know, framework, if you want. Now let's talk about uh, spatial bodies because you were mentioning how things uh, move at a at a at a slow pace, like in, in orbit. So are, are the solar systems going to be fully like rendered solar systems orbiting a sun? Uh, no. <laughs> so that, that's that, uh, for many reasons. Uh, simply, uh, if, if you have a planet that orbits the sun, then you, you have a lot of issues that you have to handle on the server side, which is basically imagine you have a, somebody parked his ship, uh, went for a vacation, you know, and 
oops, it's on the trajectory of the planet. So this thing is going to be destroyed by colliding with the planet. So that poses a lot of, you know... Well, that's uh, their fault. Yeah, but no, that's that's horrible because we have to simulate collisions with every possible things all the time with the planet. This is very costly, and I think it would be felt as totally unfair uh, from the point of view of the players. So we avoid everything that is unfair. So things that you don't understand why it happens to you, this is things we should avoid. Uh, that's why there is no Death Star ray. You know, some sometimes people ask, could we blow whole planets? No, because for the people on the planet, that would be unfair. They will not understand what's happening to them. So, so, same principle here. So, is the entire planet not voxel then? Is there like a certain point to where you couldn't conceivably dig anymore? No, well, well there, there's no limitation like that technologically. You, you, you could actually, right now, you can dig uh, through the core of the planets. But we are going to add a, a, a limitation on the depth for, you know, gameplay reasons because we would like to have some kind of lava that, that makes it actually the, the business of prospecting deep, uh, under, under the surface, uh, a bit dangerous. Like in Minecraft, you know, in Minecraft, at some point you, you, you start to be scared about, uh, maybe lava is going to fall on you. And the same idea is, is there. Uh, we might have actually a few moons that are without any lava, so you could dig to the to the core, but um, there probably will not be anything interesting to to mine in these moons. So I don't know. But the, the idea is that we we want to make it not uh, possible for gameplay reasons. Yeah, so the thing I can think of a lot of. I'm things sorry, I did not completely answer your question about the planets. Uh, our plan is to actually make them rotate around their axis. Uh, so this is probably something we are going to be able to do. There are some technical issues, but then you will have a day-night cycle because of the rotation of the, the planet. So that that's very good already. And the fact that the planets do not move relative to each other is great also to make the, you know, the business of planning your trips and evaluating how, you know, far things are uh, much, much easier. If, if you never know, you know, where the planets are, you have to enter some complicated calculations about the optimal window of time to to go to some other planets where you have some business to do there and so on. It makes it a bit complicated, and I don't think it brings a lot of interesting gameplay. It's just you know annoying. So that that answers completely your question. <laughs> so so does that mean then that the moons too are fixed at a certain point around those planets? Yeah, for the same reason, moons will not be able to move. Uh, collisions with orbital stations and so on. Uh, that that would be a nightmare, and that would be so, costly. Costly on the servers for almost no gameplay benefit, actually. So the the um, like gravity, perhaps. If I put something in orbit, it won't fall out of orbit because uh, I, it's it's going to be fixed up there, right? But I'm I'm wondering about well, could you use gravity to actually drop things on a planet though, if I wanted to? Like, that, let's say I build some orbital installation and I want to drop a rock on a city. Well, uh, the, the thing is, everything that moves is, uh, in our world, is a construct that is actually controlled by a player. So when, once you start to control something, then there's a, a, you, you, you activate the physics of it, if you want. So you could very well orbit a planet because there's gravity and everything. As long as you're in your construct, your client is online and you're actually, uh, you know, piloting it, if you want, uh, then it's going to work. If you go offline and you're 
more or less, you know, out of the atmosphere, then you're going to slowly slow down and stop to move because of these issues of collisions and things that we would have to maintain on the server side. So, okay, but if I if I log out, my ship remains in the game, though. Oh yeah, that's okay. yeah. So that's an important thing because imagine you are you 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 are in charge of a huge uh, space station. You you log out and suddenly the space station disappears. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> that that would be kind of funny though. It's just like oh, I'm gonna go dock right here, and then poof, it's gone. Oh, uh, so we we can do that. So uh, and you know it's very interesting because I don't see. Um, I, I don't think there's any game w- which had this kind of issues and this kind of uh, answers to 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 provide and and problems to solve. Uh, so we have our ideas on that, but you know uh, we are going to test a lot of things in alpha and beta because it's not obvious. It's not like you know there's a good practice and everybody knows. Yeah, that's the way to do it. So we're trying to do uh, you know intelligent uh, guesses. Uh, but we might get wrong uh, on certain things, so we will see. All right, so we we love those kind of technical answers here on the podcast. I got <laughs> to tell you, we, we love how, hearing how the sausage is made. I'm curious about the actual gameplay, though. Now, yeah, uh, J- uh, I think it was Jim that mentioned uh, Space Engineers, and I'm going to be honest, I don't like building things. I don't Good. want. I don't want to build anything. So, <laughs> will will can I play too? Like, can I jump in and get? I just want to buy a ship and fly around and kill things. Of and course. Buy, and buy. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. I I, th- I figured there would be, but I figured I'd ask. Yeah, but that's the key thing is that in a in a single shot where you have an economy, uh, people can specialize into what they really like to do, uh, and they can make money out of that, and the rest they can buy it. So you don't like to build uh, ships, that's all fine. You just buy a ship. Uh, you can use this ship to do something else that you like. Uh, combat, prospection, uh, whatever. You know, logistics, transport, exploration. Uh, you know, so you don't have to uh, build a ship. And even if you go more in details, I mean, the business of building a ship is, is uh, there are several steps. You know, you have the design of the ship, you have the blueprinting, and then you have the factory mass produced production of the ship this could be different people you know handling these different stages there's even the scripting part where you are going possibly you are going to modify the script so that you have a different flight uh, control for example all these things could actually be taken care of by different people explain the scripting real quick what what is that so the, the idea of the scripting is to say that uh, when you you activate what we call a control unit uh, you will be able to have a script that that you know uh, specifies whenever there is an event like a key press or some information coming in the system uh, or you move your mouse or all those kind of events will be able to trigger certain reactions from the elements that are part of your of your your ship so let me just explain uh, elements are things like engines uh, weapons uh, radar cockpits everything that you can actually uh, you know, plug on, on the on the shape of your construct is what we call an element. It's an active functional part that does something uh, that adds you know some some capabilities, some functionality to your construct. So those things they usually so they do something, and the script will be able to, you will be able with the script to activate those functions, but through programming. So you can do it 
manually, I would say, or you could use programming to activate those things. Typically, for example, setting the, the, the amount of thrust on an engine is something you could do in a script. And so you could actually use the script to uh, check the balance of your ship. And based on this balance, you know, uh, manage the load on the different engines so that you have your ship that doesn't fall or start to fly or equilibrate uh, over the, the horizon or things like that. So this uh, is an example of the things you could do with scripting. Um, actually, you will not necessarily have to do it because we have a, uh, what we call an auto-configurator that is able to look at your ship and to write the script for you so that it does the basic you know, flying things that you expect from your ship. But if you're into scripting, you can go deep and actually add some fancy way of for this ship for maneuvers or you know uh, interesting or maybe autopiloting or things like that that you will be able to add yourself so that that's the idea and we will add more and more you know possibilities for you to script um, opening a door when somebody is, is getting close to the door this is a very simple example or playing with some lights or having you know we will add more and more things writing on the screen for example uh, there will be screen units that are elements, so you can craft a screen and put it anywhere you want inside the construct, and kind of obviously you will be able to script what happens on the screen. And I'm pretty sure some people will make some video games, right? Yeah, the, <laughs> thing, the so, thing that's immediately... Play, play, play Doom on your spaceship. <laughs> that like, what this immediately... What it immediately so that, reminds me of is the game Second Life from Linden Labs, because uh-huh. they have they have that economy in the game where people will create assets and then they sell those between players. Now they have a real money economy in there as well. Um, but it, you know, it's like I could build a car and then sell that car to other players or, or you know, whatever yeah. I want to do. Plus they also have a whole scripting language that's in there. So if you wanted to make that car do things, then you can do that. Yeah. So, I, I yeah. guess the, so, the, the, the basic principle is, is uh, fairly similar. I imagine uh, now second life was not a game. Uh, and it was not, you know, there was, there was no uh, gaming elements. I would say, you know, like territory. Right, it's a sandbox. But it's yeah, and it was not a single shard. It was so a lot of things. That, you know, single shard is not just uh, fancy stuff. It, it, it changes everything. It changes mm. the depth of everything you do in the game. Uh, so it, it is very important, and it transforms. You know, it transforms the gameplay. A lot of the gameplay we we have developed uh, or we have in mind. Uh, is is not so new. I mean, you've seen it already in other games, but because it happens in, in in a single shard where everybody plays in the same world at the same time, then it takes another dimension. Everything matters. Everything is has consequences. It's part of this uh, you know collective story that is unfolding. So, um, yeah, even though some features you might find in other games, uh, because it's like that, the single shard aspect is is very important. Mm-hmm. It changes everything. No, I, I just meant like the the building things, yeah, yeah, yeah. being able to trade designs and, and yeah. actually apply scripts to them, and that because I think that's going to unleash a lot of uh, community creativity because you have people that have that skill set, yeah. They just don't have a good outlet for it because it's like, well, I don't want to make a whole game, but I could make assets in something, you know. Yeah. If the, now, is the the scripting language is it going to be Lua or is it something? Yeah. Okay. It's going to be yeah, Lua. A lot of people, a lot of people yeah. know Lua already, so. Yeah. Uh, Lua is pretty pretty simple. Uh, it has also from. I mean, it, it, it's very well done the way you can interface it um, uh, inside your your code in C plus plus, and so it allows us to control. You know how much um, 
how much uh, you know CPU cycles it can have and things like that. So it's it's really great. It's it's I think it's a good choice. Yeah, that's that's neat. And I see beyond just the space game here. I mean, it, you know, once you prove the concept with that, I can see a lot of other things that could be done with this. You know, just a, a different realm entirely. Yeah. So. Uh, in in our wildest dreams, uh, in some distant future, uh, we could very well add some elements so that people can rebuild more different type of settings, not only sci-fi. You know, they could have a planet where they decide, okay, we're going to do uh, medieval stuff. Who knows? So mm. that, that could be... It'll be, like the, it'll be like the Lego movie. You'll have Middle Zealand <laughs> and you'll have Wild West World. Oh, that sounds no, great. Know, what, what I'm hungry for personally, it, and with all the Oculus Rift and VR technology that's going on and nobody's making this game yet, I... I can't believe nobody's doing it is the William Gibson style cyberspace thing yeah. where you know it's it's like the movie Tron right where you're just you're inside a computer or whatever and uh, to do something like that because you have absolute freedom nothing has to make sense you know because you're in a digital neon world um, and then you build like a hacking game in there and, and whatever and you know and instead of instead of magic spells you just you know throw programs at people and those could actually be scripts that you wrote which would be the wild thing <laughs> so you know that i mean i i, I can't believe we're that get, we're, we're getting we're, into we're ready in the age player. of vr headsets and we're, we're get, not doing that yet we're getting into ready player one territory here as well exactly. oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's an excellent <laughs> reference that uh, that's a book i read actually when i was already working on the on dual universe uh, and, and, and I really found it uh, wonderful and full of excellent ideas. And I think that's really, I mean, this idea of having a virtual world where you can do anything you want is not, is not new at all. I mean, you have Ready Player One. Uh, we could talk about Matrix. We could talk about uh, tons of things, uh, where, where you have, uh, or, or this TV series, um, Caprica. There's also mm-hmm. the same idea, right? Well, I mean, this is a very old sci-fi, fundamental sci-fi idea that you could recreate this world. So, um, this this is it. I mean, it's not original. It's not uh, new. Or uh, it, the, the the only thing is the technology to do that. So you have two aspects in the technology. You have the algorithms. So the things I started to talk about before. You know about uh, uh, this server tech that I, I mentioned. So this is this is kind of difficult to to imagine to set up and then you have also the infrastructure the fact that we're using you know uh these these powerful cpus i mentioned the the size of the hard disks that not not a problem anymore uh the bandwidth you can expect uh either internally on your cluster but also uh on the on the clients uh, all this, and the power, of course, of the rendering GPUs and things like that. So there is a moment where you cross this boundary where uh, techni- technologically it is feasible, while it was not. Like five years ago, I think it was not feasible to do what we're trying to do. So uh, my my belief is that we just crossed this boundary, that now we could do this kind of world, and we just try to be the first to do it. So I'm seeing something in this video that Brian's got looping here on uh, the YouTube. There is something when, when you're flying through space and you're going from planet to planet to the space station, in the background is the skybox slash stars. And there's a few of them that are glowing really bright blue. Is uh-huh. is that part of the skybox or is that an element that's out there? No, it's, it's part of the skybox for the moment. Uh, but, you know... Uh, I, I, 
I, I think it would be really, really nice to have uh, this, uh, not the Skybox, but the, the actual, I mean, it could be a Skybox that is computed from the information of the actual position of the stars. But I don't want to make any promise on that. This is this is something, you know, we would all want to have. Uh, it's not so difficult techni- technically. I mean, you just have to have those points in the 3D space and then project them, right? So, but it, it's extra work for cosmetic reasons, mostly. So we are definitely not going to work on that uh, uh, in the short term. Uh, we have much more urgent things to do. But, you know, in the long run, um, because it's an MMO, you know, there will be expansions. Uh, they will be free, by the way. So there will be expansions and we will constantly add more stuff to this game, right? So it's never the, 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 the end of the, you know, the possibilities, like if you ship a single player game and you, you ship it, you know, and that's it. And um, that's not at all the way it works with an MMO. <clears throat> and a good example, for example, if, if, is EVE Online. They kept adding more and more uh, gameplay things. Uh, they improve their graphics also over time. They change their engines and so on. So this is the kind of things we have in mind for for Dual Universe in the long run. If we are successful, uh, you know, to to last for many years. Uh, so yeah, no. Right now, what you see isn't Skybox, man. Unfortunately, okay. that's that's what it is. But you know, oh, that's cool. We do yeah, have a so, few questions from the audience, though. I don't know yeah. if we want to address any of those. Yeah, we have a few. Uh, first. A uh, question from Alex. How will my space station be protected when I'm offline? Do I have to stop sleeping? He asks. <laughs> yeah, well, well, many, many answers to that. So um, first it will be things uh, that we call protection bubbles that allows you to create a, a very, very strong shield around your station that, uh, you know, the power of it could be directly proportional to the amount of money you have running a, an important station that could be a trade hub, for example. So the, the amount of energy you could put into this protection bubble uh, could be absolutely huge so that only very massive attacks would actually be able to to, to endanger it. That's one thing. And even so, they, they would, you know, we would, we would have some uh, 48 hours notice during which the bubble goes into indestructible mode and so on. So there would be a lot of uh, ways uh, to make sure that uh, unless you're completely unprepared, I mean, you're running a huge space station that is a big trade hub or something like that, and you have no backup, you have no agreement for protection, this this would be a reason why players should not actually put their assets onto, on, into this market, right? So you would have to, to check that uh, the the organization that is behind this station is, is serious enough so they have a protection plan. But anyway, so that's one part of the answers. Uh, the other thing is um, a huge structure like this space station would most likely involve uh, hundreds or I think thousands of players that would be in charge of running different aspects of it. So uh, there's a good chance that you would in effect have a 24 hours uh, you know, crew uh, in this station because you know people are from Europe or, uh, or the US and so on. So the it's it's likely that such a big thing would be constantly taken care of, um, in, in my view. Uh, so I'm so wondering. Guys, go ahead. Jim. I'm wondering about real estate. So if I go down on a planet and yeah. I build a building, do I get the same protection with that building, or could I log in tomorrow? Somebody's removed so, my building and built their own. Yeah. So on the it, planet, there's a there's a one. Extra, there are also the protection bubbles, uh, like like in space. But there's one extra thing, which is what we call the safe zone. 
to start with, there will be only one around the arc ship, which is the start point for everybody, starting point for everybody. So you, you start the game by stepping out of the arc ship. And around this arc ship, you have a 20 kilometers uh, safe zone that is basically a non-PVP area. So nothing bad can happen to you there. Uh, nobody can steal your stuff. Uh, so your building is completely safe if you make it within the safe zone. Uh, we plan on having more safe zone uh, that you can discover. So as an explorer, uh, you can discover, for example, ruins that, that will be activated into a, a, a new safe zone that will extend you know, the size of the uh, non-PVP uh, real estate, if you want. Uh, in the game, uh, as the number of players are, 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 is growing, but if you think about 20 kilometers, uh, uh, you know, radius, that is, that is about 1,000 uh, square kilometers of real estate. That is about 1,000 tiles of territory that you can actually uh, uh, claim. And knowing that territory claiming will be an extremely expensive thing, it's not like uh, you will have overnight 1,000 tiles that will be claimed. That that's not going to happen. So. There will be space for people to, you know, save some, uh, uh, you know, safe zone area, uh, uh, territory areas for, for them to build stuff that will be completely safe. Okay, because I was I was looking at it as more of a real estate speculation market where, you know, because people are people are going to absolutely apply real money to your game whether you do it or not, right? So it, it's like if I can get there and I can control territory and mm-hmm. then sell that territory to somebody that wants it then you could have a lot of transactions happen outside the game. You know, well, where yeah, yeah. That, that, would be, that would be forbidden, and I know that's not enough, but <laughs> just to say, um, there will also be a way for people to sell um, their territories, uh, obviously through the game, through the in-game markets, with mm. uh, in-game currency. And yeah, I'm not so sure, but I, I think it's possible that because of the you know, we have a system that we call DAC, which is uh, almost the same thing as the Plex in uh, EVE Online. Mm. Uh, are you familiar with that? So just to, uh, t- yeah. to present yeah. that, the idea that you can buy a time coupon uh, from Nova Quark uh, that will actually become an item in your inventory that you can turn into one month of game time uh, or that you can sell on the in-game market. So, of course, if you buy the coupon, you don't turn it into one month of game time. You sell it on the in-game market to get in-game money. So yeah. you, you pay some real uh, money and to get some uh, virtual money uh, within the game. So that's a mechanism that works very well in EVE. And the nice thing is that on the other side, you have a player that is a sort of an active player that makes a lot of in-game money from its activities, like trading, for example, or pirating. And every month he goes on the market and buy this time coupon, and he is actually turning it into one month of game time. So he basically is playing for free. I played Eve Online for two years without spending anything, because I was I was trading on the in-game markets and I was making enough money in-game to actually pay my my time coupons. So that, that's by the way, it's an interesting point about the, the the business model and the subscription model that that people are always are talking about. That in effect, if you're very active in the game, uh, it's kind of likely that you will not have to pay for the game because you will be able to afford this time coupon. That being said, uh, I suspect that this time coupon uh, could actually limit the effect of the um, real money trade going on uh, on the side for territories or or just for in-game money. 
because okay. then, then, then you will have a, a competition uh, to convert real money into in-game money uh, or in-game money into territory. That will actually, because it's a floating market, that will tend to equilibrate. And at some point, you have a choice. Uh, you want the territory? Can, do you want to pay for it, or do you want to? I mean, with real money to some bizarre website, or do you actually go through the legal, normal way to to do the same thing? Mm. Uh, so I'm not so sure about that. I need to think more about it to be to be frank. But it could okay. be that, like you know, this this uh, plex-like system as a, as a, also a nice effect on on the the trading on territories. Okay, so a couple other things that I was wondering is. Uh, with resources because everything that you build in the game, like let's say we build that space station that needs a couple thousand players, it's going to be huge. So you're going to need to gather a lot of resources to do that. Can you deplete the resources or will they, will like asteroids respawn after a time? So you can't ever deplete a system. No, they they don't respond. That that's, uh, (laughs) that's the the hard truth about this. Uh, You will have actually to find new resources uh, and that's a good thing because I think it okay. it helps to you know avoid having uh, uh, illimited um, you know uh, situations of power where people are sitting on an infinite source of money basically, uh, and and so if you find a very valuable uh, resource and you start to mine it, uh, you might get very very rich uh, and build a whole mining site around it and so on and so on. But it will last for a time, and at some point. You need to think about prospecting more, and maybe some other organization will find another source, and and then you know wealth will change hands. And okay. I think this is a very interesting property. Now about the space station, uh, honestly, we, we we have no idea how long it would take for how many players to build such a huge thing. Uh, we, we use some kind of you know power tools to 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 build it faster, of course, ourselves. Uh, we, we couldn't spend so much time, you know, building a space station like that. So, uh, it, it's very interesting to see. I'm, I'm pretty sure people will will do it because the 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 you know the the dream about making the Death Star is such a powerful <laughs> drive. Uh, it will happen, and and people are so surprising and so dedicated. But honestly, I don't know how much time or uh, people it will actually take. It's, it's okay. how, and how many planets you will need to actually harvest to find uh, the resources you will need. All right. The other question that I had for you is because you're a veteran EVE player, and I can see that territory control, much like in EVE, is going to be probably even more prevalent here because of the limited resources and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So when you leave from one star system to another, is there a stargate that can be controlled by a faction, or can you just warp out from anywhere? And that way you don't have a choke point that people can control access to the system. Okay, so the 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 interesting thing is that um, there will be stargates, but they will be completely player made and player driven. So there is no predefined set of stargates. Um, I, I want to stress right away that this is not going to be available at release. Uh, it's explicitly planned for an expansion that will come later. But when it comes, then people will start to be able to build the stargates. The way it works is that you need first to send a probe towards the destination where you want your stargate to, to send you, right? And this probe is going to travel at, at the speed of light, which is pretty slow, actually, uh, towards the destination. And it will actually take maybe one week or one month to actually get there. 
And when it gets there, it deploys the first uh, seed, if you want, that you can use to do a, a set of limited jumps, uh, just a few of them, that you can use to convey the materials to the, to the place and start to build your Stargate. Uh, so building a Stargate will be extremely expensive and will be very time-consuming and will be something that people will have to think about very strategically. Uh, for example, uh, scanning about possible, um, you know, the, in, in the map uh, about the, the planets to find out whether they think they could actually have a chance to have certain types of material, whether that, therefore it's worthwhile to build a Stargate to go and, and start to mine this system. So that, that has a consequence, several consequences. The first one is that the size of the known universe will grow as time goes on. And it's not like the whole universe will be accessible immediately. Uh, and I think a good property of that is that the universe will be filled with people. You know, it's not mm. like it'll be spreading in into huge and nobody sees anybody. Uh, that's not the way it's going to work. Well, but is it going to be where everybody starts on the same planet at the and beginning the and you're trapped the in the same solar system until somebody builds a gate, right? Exactly. And so, uh, actually, I think in the, in the very beginning of the game, most of the things will just happen on the first planet. And then there will be a first, you know, expansion moment where people will start to unlock the warp drive technology that will allow them to travel easily between planets within the initial system that will hold maybe 10 to 20 planets. We don't know exactly, uh, but something like that. And then they will unlock Stargates. And then they will start to be able to explore further and further. So are you saying that the game's going to start like a space race? Well, there will be a bit of that, yes, yes. But but the race is never finished. That's the the beauty of it, I think, because you, you can always unlock a new Stargate and go somewhere else. Uh, right, but, what, I mean, you have to start somewhere. So if you're starting on the ground, that means that it's a race to see who can get up to space first and build the first space station. And Yeah. yeah. yeah my, wow, that's, that's incredible. incredible. You know, so, sometimes people ask me about the quests. Uh, do we need uh, NPCs that give you quests? I don't think so. I think people will, will be incredibly motivated already to live their dreams in space and to build the first space station, to be the first uh, empire to, to, to colonize a new planet, whatever. I mean, there, there's enough imagination in sci-fi for people to set themselves in motion. Not Maybe not everybody, but uh, I mean enough people so that the others will find... You know, they will join their 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 goals, and they will they will find things to do because of that. Um, if so, you look at our community website, uh, we we started that a, a couple of months ago, uh, a, bit, a bit more I think, but anyway, not long ago. And it, it, it's a site where you can actually create an organization and start to recruit. And it's amazing there there are more than, more than seven hundred organizations already have been uh, you know created. Some of them are incredibly detailed, you know, where people are specifying their goals, their structure, their, their government structures, their, their constitution. I mean, it's very impressive what happens. Uh, and they recruited for some of them already more than uh, hundreds of, of people uh, inside the, their organization. So, so you know, this, this is living by itself. My prediction is that Goon Swarm will build the first Stargate and then <laughs> they will charge extreme amounts of money to use it. And or destroy you, and uh, anybody else that builds a Stargate, they'll just blow it up. That's well. That that we, our job as as game designers is to make sure that uh, we can have such a power and counter power, so that you have a way to counter this kind of uh, extreme situation. That you you can you know um, 
indeed, I mean, you can build several stargates to the same destination and have them compete. Uh, yes, they can try to destroy your, your construction site as you're going. Uh, but then, I mean, if, if there are uh, enough people who want to oppose that, I think there should be ways within the game to counteract it. But I know it's challenging. I know even online. I know how I know it goes. Uh, so, yeah. But we, we, we are aware of that and we're trying to imagine game mechanics so that this uh, will, will be more difficult. Well, uh, I think... Uh, the bounty what? system, for example, is a way we, we, we're thinking about making it more, um, you know, more, um, uh, how to, to say, maybe more punishing for uh, actions that are uh, unjustified. Uh, mm. so, so that, you know, we, we, we're thinking about ways and we are not done with all the things we have in mind. We are going to talk about it in more details when it's ready. But, you know, yeah, it's challenging. See, so sure. If I could build, if I could build a Stargate, and then just put a fee on it, so it, it would be almost like a toll gate. Yes. So it's like if you want to fly through my Stargate, you have to swipe your credit card. Yeah. And then you can use it. Or you could pay a subscription to to that Stargate system, so you you have access to sort of a highway of space, you know. And your company is basically selling uh, the conveniency of having access to a large Stargate network. Yeah, I just have to have some way to actually make the person passing through the gate pay the toll before they could use yeah, it. Yeah, that, that so. would be done. That would be part this, of uh, yeah the things we do. This last 10 minutes of conversation has just sold me, JC. <laughs> I, I'm, I was really excited about this game, but like when, we, when you started talking about starting points, Stargates, and all this other stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm sold, so... I'm super excited now for this game. Great. <laughs> and you know what? Me too. And and the thing is, I really want to play that game. So, uh, and, and and I think, you know, me and also all the people in the team, we have this, this culture about gaming um, that I think we, we, I mean, intuitively, we know the kind of things we all dream about, right? So we're trying to make it happen. Yeah, that's cool because I can I can see the like the stuff that Braben's trying to do with Elite. Um, the thing could eventually turn into that where you have multiple player run stations and gates and different worlds, and then you would have people that could just be a trader that would run resources between places and sell things and and that and that that because honestly, that's what I want to do. I just want to be a truck driver in space. That's mm-hmm. it. And and this would actually give me a reason to do it. Um, Versus, you know, something like Elite, I can get kind of bored because everything's already established and, you know, you just find the best thing and, and run that and it never runs out. So, but this would actually, I think, develop its own economy that would work like a real economy versus something that's just some random numbers. And there's, there's one aspect of economy that is almost never uh, included into uh, games, and this is innovation. The fact that you can innovate and compete on the best design of your ship, the best uh, scripting for control and the best whatever, um, so that you don't have a fixed set of uh, assets or things that you can actually inject in the economy, but it's limited. And if you think about it, this is fundamental because in the real economy, innovation is, is a fundamental driver. Remove innovation and you I mean, you don't have an economy. Uh, at some point, it stagnates. So this is a very interesting um, first, I think, uh, sort of an experiment. 
that we push the in-game economy, not only being realistic with the markets and so on, but also having innovation uh, possible. Uh, we have a few interesting... We have three questions from one person. <laughs> first off... <laughs> Let's go. Can, <clears throat> first off, can I make a living hunting fauna or wildlife? How do you hunt fauna? Like hunt trees? Uh, Well, that that relates to the the more general question of, you know, survival in the game and having a um, a larger fauna uh, or being able to harvest for plants, for example, for medicines and things like that. So we we are all into this. Uh, We think it's not a top priority. So we will do just a little bit of uh, animals to make the world lively. But, you know, the big feature where you have a real... Uh, interesting gameplay going on, especially since, you know, some games have made their whole gameplay about that. So it's not something that you can make um, uh, as an afterthought or just half cooked. I mean, so we we prefer to say that the, the big thing will, will come at some point through an expansion. But at the beginning, since it's not the heart of the game, uh, it's not the first thing we are going to do. We're going to add a few animals uh, for sure. Um, but nothing, I mean, that will make, I think, the game as the, I don't know, the reference of uh, hunting, you know. Uh, it, it, it's something we're going to work on uh, a bit later. Did you ever play Star Wars Galaxies, though? Because uh, there was a... Yeah, no, I haven't personally, but but uh, I, I heard about it a lot, and I think there's a lot of very good things in, in this game. Okay, because that that was the first game that had player-controlled cities and economies and stuff, and, and it went into that. So I'm sort of seeing some parallel there because it's like, you know, our our group, we could go just start a town somewhere and run it. But, and, but and, was it a single shard or, or not? No, it was, it was multiple because each planet, well, each planet was basically a separate server. But, well, but they had... Well, no, 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 no. I mean, they had multiple servers like in WoW, but there was a, there was a complete solar system that had different planets you could go on that had cities on different planets and stuff like that. But but the cities, if it's not a single shard, I mean, how many people were in the cities? Well, well in its it heyday, in its heyday, there was uh, you know hundred of people at least more in cities. Okay, but then there were there were NPCs to to fill the gaps, I suppose. Well, they had NPCs to use for like uh, as like merchants, right? So like I set up a shop and I put an NPC there that can interact with people to sell my stuff. Okay, well, the, the thing we would dream of is having the capital city of some kind of empire in the safe zone around the Ark ship with 100,000 people in it. That's the thing we, we, we would la- love to see, you know. Maybe it will take us uh, 10 years to reach that, that point, you know. But 100,000 people, that is, a, that is ambitious. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you say- in the same system, then you'll have. Well, there's also, you know, a difference between also the number of people who are in a given zone and the number of people who are logged in. This is always a factor of 10, usually. Yeah, the, the reason that I brought up Galaxies is the the economy that was there were because people would create, uh, like, extraction machines and, and they would have a farm, which was, which was almost like oil pumps that would be there, but they would uh-huh. pump minerals and, and whatnot. And they would go out and tend to that 
and then collect whatever it had collected over you know a day or two and then take that back to their factory and then they had a blueprint system and they would create things um but what was really odd about it is the database that they had like for every item that got created let's say i make a thousand guns each one of those guns would have a separate serial number and have its own unique stats and and that which i thought was a bit excessive but um but it, it was just a very unique thing that that particular game did, and and I what I can see is the appeal of your game will because there hasn't been anything like that since, and there's that whole group of people that used to play that game, and they would come immediately to you because it's like well we can make our own town somewhere and run it our own yeah. way and do whatever. So I think you've got yeah. that whole population sealed right now. That, that's that's a good point. Yes, and uh, I mean uh, they are most welcome, and there are there are also people coming from Eve, some people coming from EverQuest Landmark, uh, some very very good builders, um, uh, and I guess you know that there there will also be a lot of people coming from no other game, uh, I mean no other MMO, because they they never had um, the kind of mix of features that they they really wanted. Uh, in what existed so far. So, we'll see. Alright, another question is, I'm not sure what this means. Crafting extends to materials and types of resources? I guess they mean, like, are you going to be mining on planets for resources? Because I think we kind of touched upon that, but, like, it wasn't really clear how you gain resources. Do you gain it by building mines? Do you gain it by mining yourself manually? How how do you gain resources to help build ships, for example? How okay, and, further, and furthermore, how many different types of resources are you going to have? Okay, so uh, several questions. Uh, the, the, Sorry, the exact, the exact no, no no problem. The the, the exact number of, of resources I, I cannot tell at this stage, but there will be a mix between the the usual stuff that you have in uh, you know in in reality uh, plus a, a, a few exotic materials that, that are here to explain somehow. That you're able to make, uh, I don't know, Stargate, for example, you know. <laughs> uh, so this this kind of thing. So about mining, um, so far the the way we we think about it is that it's something you do yourself. So a bit like in Minecraft, uh, you can have some powerful tools to do it. Um, but the basic tool you can use, and probably the first one we are going to introduce, is the nanoformer, which is the thing that is attached to your hand and allows you to collect materials and de- deploy it any way you want. So basically, it's about mining. And then, you know, in terms of game design, I think there's a choice to make between automation and having people uh, mining themselves. Um, if you introduce automation, then it becomes completely obsolete to mine yourself. Nobody's going to do that anymore. And I think that might be a problem because um, a lot of beginners in the game will actually find mining as a as an easy uh, first thing to do that will you know make a few uh, a few bucks within the the in-game uh, economy. And if we make the mining automatic, um, basically it's going to end the mining gameplay. That will be finished. It will become the gameplay about building automatic mining stuffs, and that will be all what it is about. So, since I th- I think it's important to preserve certain basic activities for beginners, so that you know everybody has something to do in the game. Uh, I don't think there will be things like automatic mining. Uh, you will have to go and mine yourself. Um, then we will introduce more powerful ways to mine certain types of materials. 
um, with ships probably, but this is still in, in discussion with always the same, you know, uh, idea in mind, not breaking some parts of the gameplay because the most efficient way to do something will become the only way to do it, you know, at some point mm. because people optimize. So you have to keep that in mind. And we want to have, you know, beginners just mining with the nanoformer and making a decent money from that. Yeah, well, the yeah. thing that I was thinking about is like asteroid mining. If if yeah. you guys do this right, it would be, you know, you don't have the ability to have food up there or oxygen or water, you know, the uh-huh. things that you're going to need. So if you get a group of people and they decide, okay, we're going to start a business, we're going to build a spaceship, we're going to fly up to the asteroid field and we'll establish a base there. And then you're going to need somebody that's going to actually buy supplies and fly them yes. there. And yes, it, so you'll have a delivery economy and, and that. So that, yeah. that'll become its own complexity just because of the dynamic of survival yeah. up there. That's an interesting point also that, that you know, survival, um, it should not, it, the, the, the best way to do it is if you are in the civilized world and then it doesn't become a problem. It's not a problem anymore because you, you can just buy your food and in high quantities and you always have some. You don't, you don't think about it that much anymore. <clears throat> it vanishes. Uh, otherwise, it becomes a core that you have to always eat and it's boring and you know, it breaks your game. So, but at the same time, it should be that in certain extreme circumstances, like the one you mentioned, or exploring a, a very far away planet and you don't have access to, to this food supply, uh, anymore, then it, it, it becomes, it's come, it's coming back and you start to have to, you know, think about feeding yourself. And there's this problem that comes back because you are in this extreme situation. Uh, I think this, this would be, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of game design we, we will try to, to do for that. Um, and about astro- asteroid mining, um, there is a question that is still open: whether you would do that with a ship. Uh, so you basically uh, orbit the asteroid and you mine it with a with a sort of a remote mining device, or whether you have to actually go on the the, the asteroid yourself and use your nanoformer and the things I mentioned before. So this is still an open question. We don't have the the answer, the final answer, but um, yeah, that's. A good example of uh, you know trade-offs we have to make. Well, if an asteroid is deformable like the rest of the terrain, if I if I hit it with weapons, I'm going to cut it in half or knock pieces off of it, right? Yeah. So so that would be a way to see like what's in it. I'll go up there and blow chunks off of it, and then I might have to get out and actually pick up the pieces of it. Then, or I would come up with some system. Because, you know, inventive people are going to craft things. Um, if you had a ship where you could scoop the chunks into the ship, but then you, mm-hmm. you know, so now you're in a safe environment, but then you have to go down to the cargo hold and use the nanoformer on it to actually extract the minerals. I, I, I could see, you know, a combination of the two working where the, well, the ship would enable you to get access to it. There, there's a technical limit uh, that, that will make it um, uh, impossible for us is that, uh, you know, it's like in Minecraft when you when you cut something in in two, uh, the the two things are are still connected basically, so they don't fall apart. Uh, so an asteroid would be uh, a whole voxel entity, and if you if you cut the middle of it, it would not actually uh, you know make some pieces that fly around and things like that. It would just stand as a whole. Uh, this is a technical constraint we have with the the model. 
we, we have in mind. Because if you think about it, it would actually generate potentially millions of floating entities everywhere that would load the server and that, that would not be scalable. So the way we have, uh, the way we manage everything, being, uh, being, be it a ship or an asteroid, is that it's a whole. So when, when it's, it's a one thing, right? So once you break some parts, if they get disconnected, they don't necessarily, you know, s- spread or separate physically from each other. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the way, well, the way say space that so that people don't start to have, you know, their imagination going too far. I always want, you know, to get back to how the game is really going to be. Okay. Well, uh, we need to start wrapping up soon. So, uh, I'm sorry. But uh, I do have one last question from the peanut gallery. Can I deorbit my shit? They, yeah, that was great. Can I deorbit <laughs> my station? Can I deorbit my station and drop it onto a city, like say in Justice League when they had the watchtower and they dropped it like a freaking anvil? Yeah, uh, no, you, <laughs> you, you, you can't do that. <laughs> right. Sorry. Uh, the, the reason is the same principle I, I mentioned before is the, the fairness. Uh, if you do that, uh, imagine you are a peaceful citizen somewhere on this planet and then suddenly, boom, you have a space station falling, falling on your head. Um, uh, even mentioning, I mean, the server cost of this kind of uh, dramatic events, uh, it would be completely unfair. So, uh, if you have something that is uh, uh, massive in orbit, you will not be able to crash it on the planet. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I do have one last question myself. Okay. Yeah. Yes or no? Space elevators. Uh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting. There, there's no no reason why we couldn't do that. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. We're gonna think about it. I mean, you need some way to travel along the the elevator, so that that's uh, the part that we need to think about it, which is not so far away from the notion of uh, trains. You know, the fact that you could define a sort of so some kind of a line along which your construct is going to move itself, right? Um, but there's no no problem of size of how big you could build things in altitude. Uh, we are going, however, probably to limit it for gameplay reasons. Like, you know, you need, ah, I'm sorry, I see you. <laughs> but I mean, imagine you build something very, very, very big, very high, and it's made of wood. Doesn't make sense. So it may be that because of material limitations, but you. But you, it's space wood. Yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, we'll see. We'll see. Especially since the, the planet is going to be rotating, this this might actually lead to some you know difficulties. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll when, when you guys said trains, I I immediately thought of the heavy metal queen from uh, from uh, <laughs> Cowboy uh, Bebop. The, yeah, Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. So we'll have to send JC a clip from Cowboy Bebop and just be like, we don't care as long as, as we do that. Yeah. <laughs> As long as you can put this in there, we don't care. Just make that make that one thing, and I don't care what else you do. <laughs> okay. All right, JC. Sorry, JC. Let's wrap it up. Where can people besides Kickstarter? Where can people find you guys online to uh, follow the progress of this awesome looking game? Well, that's a very good question because some sometimes people miss these very uh, rich sources of information. So there is a dev blog that we are running for more than two years now which is uh, basically devblog.jewelthegame.com. Uh, so in this dev blog, we, we, we explain a lot of ideas we have about a lot of aspects of the gameplay 
territories, right and duty, management system, organizations, and so on and so on. So I really encourage people to have a look at this dev blog. Um, there's also uh, the forum uh, where, where it's very full of people. There's more than 2,500 people already. <clears throat> this is uh, board.dualthegame.com. Uh, and finally, you know, the, the site I mentioned at some point, community.dualthegame.com. Uh, this is the place where you can create your organization. And even if you don't want to create an organization, go there, have a look at the, let's say, the, the 10 or 20 most prominent organizations. It's very impressive what those guys are doing. Uh, and, and, and look if you, maybe you want to join them, you know, maybe you find their project interesting. Uh, there is a lot of things going on. So, yeah. Have a look. Seven and seven hundred and fifty-eight. Yeah, sorry. Yes, I was going to yeah, say seven hundred and fifty-eight entries for the organizations. I, on your, I on guess your site. we. I guess we need to start a space game Pretty junkie good. organization. I guess we need to get that off the ground. Yeah, I, I encourage you to do that. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and state your goals. You know, what are you going to be inside this world? We're going to have fun. That's our goal. Is just to have Sounds a goddamn good. good time. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. <laughs> Fun. Yes. In that order. Uh, so, JC, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I know you've been on, like, on a whirlwind of like, <laughs> Paris to New York, PAX, all that stuff. So I want to thank you. You must be exhausted for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Again, folks, the game is on um, – the game is Dual Universe. It is currently kickstarting. It has about two weeks left. According to ClickTrack, I don't want to jinx anything, but according to ClickTrack, you are going to make your goal. So, knock on. I'm physically knocking on wood to. Uh, to <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> to make to make sure uh, that you guys make it, but it's looking good. I don't think you need our help, but we're happy to do it. Uh, so, when do we uh, yeah. get to play this thing? Good question. Fun, that'd be oh, the yeah, final that, question. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the the plans we have is, if everything goes well, is that we have the game in, in first release at the end of 2018, but already an alpha in the first half of next year, so 2017, uh, and in between a beta, about probably one one year after the alpha or something like that. All right, just a couple of final notes, folks. Thursday for the stream, we don't know what we're doing yet. I mean. Uh, Hunter suggested the ship, but we right. might we, we need might, we need like four or five people at yeah, least as a minimum to play and, that. And so far we only have three. So plan B, if we don't do the ship, is Space Marine. Warhammer forty thousand K Space Marine, which is currently on sale, by the way, folks, on Steam Week Long Sale. You all should own it anyway, because it's great. Seriously. And uh next week on the podcast, we are gonna talk mods. We're gonna have the lead uh, designer developer person of the amazing Blue Planet mod for Free Space 2. Nice. So, yeah, that's exciting. We're very excited about that because if you guys haven't seen Blue Planet, it's basically Free Space 3. And it's amazing. It's really fully voiced. that. Fully voiced, <laughs> fully voiced, amazing graphics. Great, fantastic. Fantastic story. Cloud, yeah, Cloud Vault said Space Marine, going back to that, is one of the few good 40K games. He's not wrong. So <laughs> he's totally not wrong there. Uh, so, yeah, folks, thank you so much for listening and watching. JC, again, thank you for joining us. And we will see you next time. Have a great night, everyone. Let's have some music in here, Boiler. Do a thing. <laughs>
desert skies. You're 